This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and I have a pretty phenomenal treat for you guys this episode. I'm joined by not only an Academy Award nominee, uh, but a Logie winner as well. I was only expecting an Academy Award nominee, but I've got a Logie winner as well. So Luke Doolan is joining me. You would know him most certainly if you've listened to this podcast from movies like Animal Kingdom or The Gift. He's part of the Blue Blue Tongue Collective. You would see in his work in Gatsby as well as recently Colossal, which is a really awesome dark kaiju movie, which is rad if you've seen it with Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis. And his buddy, who's just happened to be hanging out at the de- time, so this is absolutely perfect, Henry Nixon, who's a Logie winner from The Kettering Incident, which is probably one of the best Australian dramas of the last five, ten years. So check it out. And I quickly went through Henry's uh, resume and saw that he was in East West 101, which is my other favorite Australian uh, drama TV series. So really rad to have both of these gents talking to me. We are at the 137th minute of heat. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, um, Luke, can you just say, uh, uh, say hi, it's Luke, so I've got your name so that the audience knows who's talking at any time? Sure. Um, hi, it's Luke. And Hi, it's Henry. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. So, uh, Henry's been dragged into Luke's selection. Uh, Luke, being a famous editor, very surprised. Um, he's, he's been roped in to talk about Michael Mann, which he's already said that his films are drastically too long. So in a 170 minute movie, I'm glad that I dragged him in for this. Um, but his selection is, and you know, just saying 137 minute, you may not know if you, if you're not following along the podcast or you haven't been, you're diving in and this is your very first episode. This is the, basically two minutes in a row we're going to do together, 137 and 138, which is the incredible scene where Charlene Chehalis is sort of forced to go and ID Chris Chehalis. So Ashley Judd forced to ID Val Kilmer with a new haircut and the incredible gesture of no happens. So we're going to listen to that minute and then we're going to chat about it. Gentlemen, 
That's I it. I picked a great, great clip for radio. Didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> there is no, that is, I think, the benefit of listening to this podcast. Everyone is just listening. And so some scenes are absolutely dynamic and some scenes are just the credits rolling in with Elliot Goldenthal's score. So yeah. <laughs> lots of gestures, lots of faces, lots of great little cuts there um, between a, a whole bunch of different characters in LA. Luke, thank you so much for joining me on this, man. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's a, it's a great idea, this uh, this podcast. I love it. And so you're a fan of Michael Mann's films or not largely? Because I know that one no. of your, your a seminal film for you is Godfathers Part 1 and 2. So um, that sure. th- this would have been your kink straight from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Like uh, this this came out, what was it, 95? 95, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was in, I think I was in my last year of school and very much a, a movie geek and, this is sort of, you know, movie geek um, cake from hell, you know. Uh, but I remember being actually weird. Like it was, there was so much hype behind it and um, and I think, you know, whipped up amongst me and my friends. And um, I remember being weirdly disappointed at the time. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Because it was kind of, I don't know, it was, it was Lot of, I was very much into sort of flashy camera moves and all that kind of stuff, and this really doesn't have a whole lot of that. No, it's got a couple, but it's very, um, you know, uh, the cameras are long lens and they kind of, you know, very static and for the most part. Um, so I, I think I kind of uh, put it into the kind of it's a bit TV category at the time in in, yeah. in all my seventeen year old wisdom, um, <laughs> and I, I think it's and. But then, you know, I've seen it, I obviously saw it since then and it just gets better and better each time. The only other movie I know like that is The Big Lebowski. Oh, my mm. God. Talk about a film that, yeah, effortlessly yeah, rewarding. Both, both, both uh, yeah, very seminal LA film, yeah. modern LA film. Mm. Um, when did you first see it? Um, oh God, I think it was, I think it must have been in the late 90s. That's the thing. It's kind of like I'm not really so a heat not head. Not in the cinema, yeah. but... Uh, DVD it would have been like maybe DVD or VHS at someone's house and I was prob- it was probably like late at night. It was probably in Canberra. It was probably really cold and I was probably really stoned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're not a heat head. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a heat head. But, 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 but we've had a lot of I've, conversations over the years about heat. We have for some reason. And it's kind of like I've revisited it online, I suppose, in certain scenes and certain stuff because it does have that kind of actor kind of – Fan, uh, you know, that sort of, it's it's an actor's film because you've got these two greats finally meeting up and butting heads. And to me, it, I think it's a great example of why I much prefer De Niro over Pacino as an actor. Oh, really? That's yeah. another controversial thing we can go down in a moment. That's great. I know. It's not really to do with this scene, but I was just, I mean, I was saying that to Luke earlier. That's uh, as it, from a, purely from an actor's perspective. Yeah. 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 So. Um, but there's so much, like, I, you know, I love the movie, but there's so much to kind of, um, to poke fun at as well, absolutely. which I really enjoy doing. Absolutely. So much, yeah. Yeah, you like can't, it, if you can't help but say, great ass. Like if someone even <laughs> says ass, you just can't help. It's, but you, 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 make, you make fun of it with love. Like, give me all your God, shake the table. Um, yeah, it's, it, you cannot help but like, it's, it's love poking fun. You love it so much that you're almost, you're allowed. You're, I'm allowed yeah. to make fun of it. Because I love it. And, 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 yeah. And then he, and you get back to the actor Pacino De Niro thing. But yeah. anytime you make a, a tr- tr- attempt to make an ultra modern film, mm. you know, at a time, ultra slick, mm. um, 
it, it, it immediately dates. Yes. Um, so that's one yes. way you can attack it. That's true. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's such a great time capsule of, a, of, a, of an LA that is, it doesn't really exist anymore. It's fantastical, this movie, I think. Well, it shifts from very grounded to very fantastical. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, and to get back to this particular scene, this, and we were talking about this earlier, this is kind of like a fairy tale scene to me. It's like a fairy tale getaway. And it kind of, it's not really in keeping with the world of the film, but it so is. Yes. I, I, yeah, I disagree. I, I think yeah. this is more in keeping with the world than I think the De Niro, Amy Brenneman um, yeah. relationship, which I always thought was a real uh, something you had to kind of yeah. uh, just get through. Well, the relationship between Val Kilmer and Ashley Judd in this film, to me, and we were saying this once again earlier before, but it is kind of like very much one of the most interesting parts of the movie. To me, and I would, I hundred percent agree. Their their central relationship. There's two central relationships in this movie. One of them is Pacino and De Niro, and the other one is Chris and Charlene Chihelis. Like they're the, despite there are some other. Yeah, and it feels just so. uh, It's resonant with with very little screen time and very little backstory. You really peer around the corners of a what seems like a real relationship. and a history, it just speaks to a lot more going on Well, like um, outside the frame. Yeah. From, from you two both being in, uh, both being filmmakers who've been part of big car shows, like this is, uh, for 1995, this film has 70-odd speaking roles. Like, so let's yeah. just wrap our heads around 70-odd speaking roles with full-blown full, on, full blown character moments and even just the amazing sequence between Dennis Haysbert and his partner, just another glimpse around the corner into a relationship. So you're thinking like, I, 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 what's funny about this, uh, and when you break it down into 60-second increments, and we're going to get to the scene in a moment, is you end up going, they're on screen for maybe 13 minutes in the grand mm. scheme of things. And you would think, like, it's like the whole uh, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lamps. You know, the Hopkins performance yes, yeah. is on screen for six minutes. He feels like he's on screen for days. But it's just for, yeah. for, the, for these <clears throat> little glimpses that they, like you said, I think Henry used the word resonant. They're just so resonant again and again. You want to go back and go, I love that tiny detail. I love, I love that, mm. that interaction. It's really funny watching this scene again. And, and it's, it's really funny how she does that hand swipe. And that hand swipe is so iconic, isn't it? Yes. Um, but really, it's interesting that either man directed her to do that hand swipe or she, or, or she came up with a hand swipe because she could have just done it with a look. Yeah. Yes. But- uh, and given, and here's where we can sort of, you know, we can get picky about it. So the scene, obviously, in the minute preceding, oh, no, here it is. So um, we pan off the close-up of her and it's kind of doing a little bit of that Scarface um, Seen in a uh, camera move in in Florida, mm. absolutely. To benefit face to the to the cop in the window to her direct left, mm-hmm. who would see the hand move, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, he'd be, clo- um, yeah. He'd be, he'd be close to seeing it, absolutely, because it's because the the only hope that she's got, you're right, Luke, is that he's looking at the car. He's trying to make yeah, sure he'll he from the-, the car from there, and the whole scene's hinged around the fact that he yeah. can't see the car and relies on the guys on the street. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got this lovely crane moved down to the, what is it, white Trans Am. Yes. So this is all down in Venice where we are right now. Still a pretty cool car. And then, then you've got these great moments of waiting. Yes. I love this. And this is, uh, I don't know, I didn't realise how, how dialogueless this scene was until we just watched it with you. Yeah. Mm. So, and again, cuts, cuts to, and uh, um, I've talked about a couple of times, word that keeps coming out when describing heat is like the geography of the characters. And so you love mm-hmm. that Drucker, 
there's this perfect sequence that comes down to the Trans Am basketball courts there in Venice. You guys are there, so I love that you've picked a scene where you are, which is amazing. Um, and the next piece is we go to Deni- uh, sorry, go to Pacino in the robbery homicide division. He's there um, with uh, Schwartz, and he's there with um, Casals, who's Wes Studi, and um, Jerry Trimble, who's like the only guy who's not a massively well-known Michael Mann regular in that. Um, and there's yeah. that great scene of just anticipation. And now we get Val Kilmer, and he's Sam's got. A- I know he's got. Yeah. A- he's got a Robert De Niro haircut. He's got yeah. the unrecognizable Robert De Niro haircut. Like his beautiful blonde locks are gone. So yeah. And he returns around, so we're at two minute, uh, 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 two hours, 16 minutes and 42, 43 seconds, 44, and we get to about 46, and there's that great intercut with her reacting, looking down. I've just held pause on um, it's what will be 137 minutes, 47 seconds. Um, and he, he looks like he's genuinely in pain there. Like, he, uh, yeah. he did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'll just quickly go back because he is – there's – um, early in, early in the film, there's all this confidence and bluster, and he's he's got that great let's say I don't give a fuck attitude through most of the film. Mm. But here, he's just broken. He sort of mm. hobbles around. His eyes look glazed over, like he's well, got meds. It's quite, quite odined up, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's turned around, and then it's like when he sees her, there's a bit of a lightning strike. He get he's there. He is. He can't help but give the yeah. police. He yeah. can't give yeah the the vowel the vowel smile the yeah. vowel smile. We've seen it yeah, in many, many years. <laughs> uh, and what breaks, what so, breaks your heart more than the vowel smile is when it goes away. Yeah, oh, exactly. And and look at, I mean, Ashley Judd. This we is could, like, uh, we, well, we could talk about. This is she's, so she's. But what are you saying about Southern women? Well, we, that's the thing. Uh, uh, the thing that uh, I think is so great about the two or three scenes she has. Yeah. Um, and and how uh, that character just you know. Uh, takes up the, the space, even against De Niro, I think. Mm. Um, I think it's really true to her character and obviously her from where she comes from. Southern women are so fucking strong and centred. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and in a terrifyingly sort of, uh, like, they have a lot more gravity than other people. Um, and, and I love that she can, I believe her standing up to him um, and being his equal mm. and, and, you know, like partner in life. And he has to negotiate. Um, a lot of people forget that De Niro doesn't negotiate with almost anyone in this movie. Like he doesn't only nego- her. Only her. That's, that's, that's it. In that yeah, early yeah. Sequence. In the co- yeah, in the in the great coat hanger scene. In the oh, the co- like dynamite, dynamite. But we, um, we were talking about the block. I know this is off topic. We were talking about the blocking of that. scene. Yeah, I love it. And they would have gone. You know, uh, I don't know if it would have been De Niro. Or- De Niro was like, I need something to hit. To, you know, it's yeah. like it's. It feels like the coat hanger. Yeah, yeah, but it's like. It just feels like those coat hangers are there for him to use, yes. to bash out the way, and that's kind of like whether that was his choice it's the or button. yeah, yeah, that's the button, that's the button of the scene. That's that him, line. but that's him losing. Like, I think that that's way less about the intimidation of threatening to hit her because I don't ever think that he's going to hit her. I think it's more that he's Not pissed like- off that he has to negotiate with her in that moment, right? He's just like, oh, yeah. God damn it, I don't yeah. want to have this conversation with you. Listen, I, I usually can give a directive and it's taken, but in that moment, yeah, yeah. it's it's at, like. I wonder that. It's right? a terrific how, look. It's a terrific moment. Yeah. But Henry, how? Quick, quick question from you, from an actor's perspective: How many times are you in yeah. a moment like that, and yeah. you're blocking a scene, and you you see something that's in the scene, and go, "I need to use that." Like, is that a regular? Well, occurrence? it's really fun. Like with that particular thing, depends like, how insecure you are. It, on the day. Yeah, and it's sort of like, <laughs> well, it's kind of like he needed something 
he needed something to, to, to hit or swipe or something. And it's like De Niro is such a great actor, right? It's like lesser actors probably would have punched the wall or something like that. Yeah. But he does this great moment of sweeping away the hangers and it's like it's such a – the effect is all there. Yes. But it's not really aggressive. Yes. And it's not aggressive towards her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of indirect but he's making his point. And he's got it cornered so that's enough. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And he's got the finger out. And- yeah. But he just – I mean he's just such a great – De Niro has just a great sense of how to play of, of tone in scenes, I think. Yeah, and she do, he doesn't, like, uh, suck the oxygen out of her performance. Like, no. he gives her space still, yeah. uh, which is not inappropriate for the scene because it's negotiating. But yeah. she gives it right back and she's she scared. Does. She's, yeah. She hesitates and it feels real. It feels real. But I love how De Niro says he's all business. Yeah. You know, they, there's nothing yeah. unnecessary in his acting, which is, it's so economical, which I love. And, and Pacino is the opposite, <laughs> which is quite true. Yes, but um, and perfect for the interplay of this this entire scene that we're about to see. So we've got we're got seven remaining seconds in this scene, and you've got to love how the smile transitions here. It's just he's this is Pete Kilmer. How good was Val Kilmer at this time? Kilmer. Yeah, this is Pete Kilmer. We were talking about this moment too. Like, okay, so they've just pulled off a big bank heist. Half the guys are dead, but they don't know where the other guys are. Everyone's on their own now. Yes. Um, they've got to make their way out of LA somehow with whoever they want. You know, yeah. we've all been taught you've got to walk away, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so why is it such a surprise to him? Like, wouldn't he maybe be a little more cautious with the? I don't know. This is stuff I've thought about. Right. Like he seems so shocked that yeah. she does the little. Mm. Oh, I think he's shocked more that they got. I, I the way that I've always viewed it is I feel like he's more shocked that they got to her because I think he's even quite oblivious that De Niro gets to her. You know, because that whole, that's a great yeah, lead. Yeah, he does No, that's mm. a very much, listen, here's the deal. You know, you'll give him one more shot. Otherwise, I'll finance you and you can go away. So it feels yeah. way more like a, a conversation that's happening in isolation. So the fact that she's there... That's what mm. I love about this. We're going to get into when we finally get into this next minute. I love the mm. reaction on his face because it's chunking information like, holy shit, they got to her. How did they mm. get to her? How, how did they get to her? How did she get, how did she get caught to get to this moment? And what's she being manipulated with? You know, it's like all this stuff going on at the same time. And it's like a collision. It just happens all in like half a second. And then he goes, okay. And that's the economy. No, no, it's just like, okay. That's amazing that, that world on his face, those yeah. things. And, and some of that's projected onto him yes. by us. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it is. But I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like Val is doing, he's doing a lot, you know. The, he's, he's done a lot. You know, and also the, the choice to, I mean, the, the kind of to cut to the falling smile. Yeah. Um, which, you know, which is kind of bold, you know, it's a bold choice, but it's sort of says it all really, doesn't it? I mean, mm. And, um, but it is sort of, I mean, this, like, once again, it's kind of, it's sort of, it's fairy tale-ish or fantastical or something, this whole sequence. Yeah, it's a little heightened. And, yeah. Uh, but it's, it goes with, you know, you've got two hours to kind of uh, precede this and, and load it up. Mm. Yes. And, and they do it all with looks, which I think, uh, there, there's so many less beats to their Definitely. resolution. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, 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 re- it resolves on her. It's actually her story. Yeah. We don't end on... It's right. also searingly romantic, yeah. isn't it? She's yeah. like, he's dead or gone. Yeah. And it's such yeah. a, it's, but they've done that choice since the 30s. But you also know this is the last time they're ever going to see each other. Right? Yeah. And it's, but it's, that's it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they're the great loves of each other's lives. And and you don't you don't just accept that because it's presented to you. Mm. It's like you believe it. Mm. Oh yeah. Especially because of the transition in her face too. Because like you I think Luke, you said like fierce, fierce, strong, sort of towering presence that she is as a woman, Ashley Judd. Stand like sitting there doing it. And then when her face starts to break, I think it's even more powerful because Kilmer's face breaks before hers. If you just go yeah. back for like a quick, if we go back, I'm sorry, I'm just playing the the revolving, uh, um, uh, cycling back instant replay here for the guys as we're doing it. But there's this, her hair's blowing in the breeze. His smile goes, she's just firm, completely oh, she firm. Hasn't sm- she hasn't done anything. And then her face, it's like, it's on and the brink of, it's on the brink. And yeah. she's, it's. It's his face has broken that smile before she even has a reaction that glances across her face. But it's so perfect that she just mm. lets it happen and that emotion comes and then we've got a couple of seconds before the amazing gesture that comes up. Mm. Go, you could spend a long time cutting a scene like this, like really fine-tuning. Yeah. And- tell, me mm. about, tell me about that, Luke. Tell me about what, how you'd, you'd oh, be in this look room. Look at all probably shoot the shit out of it and have lots of takes and lots of angles and yes um i don't know and you know knowing what i know from people who've worked with him he's very <clears throat> anal and fastidious and and detail oriented uh possibly to the point driving people to madness but <laughs> um you know things like this like we were saying we just watched it on our own on its own um without the context of the film mm. and it's a great scene on its own, but it, it needs all of that preceding it to yes. get away with it so silently. Mm. Yes, because it's a film, but it's a film weirdly for its massive running time and like 70 odd speaking roles that it does have these moments where people just don't say a word. People just no, don't talk. and that's talk. where I think Michael Mann really sings. It's, his, yeah. it's, the, it's the non-verbal, like he, it's, it's all great. Yes. He's mm. he master at all stuff, but... I, I particularly find his memorable stuff is is without dialogue. You know, Last of the Mohicans would be yes. another one. You know, all that slow mo running stuff in the third act, and uh, you know, and his incredible score. The beats of that, the oh, beats yeah. of that scene for you as an editor, yeah. I would imagine that's pretty pretty sublimely cut together. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, and which of the two scores in that film would you are you referring to? That's the yes. other yeah. two composers. Yes. Yeah. You know, Things get heated in post production on my. There were, oh, there were two composers in uh, Los Mohicans. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah didn't know that. Um, tre- uh, Trevor, Trevor, someone, and yeah. Anyway, mm. um, what are, what's some other one other movie like? Um, Insider. Other Michael Inside is just mm. full of beautiful moments without dialogue. Mm. Um, mm. It opens with Al Pacino's head in a bag in a car and just like That's a right. score going along, and you sort of see a, a kind of a flash of a. Of first-person perspective of what it looks like to be through the bag and then the cars sort of floating That's through right. the streets to a shake's house. I think it's in Lebanon, um, I believe, is yeah. where the, the opening of that 60-minute sequence is set. So, yeah, pretty, yeah. The, the, the peak man period, we've talked about peak Kilmer, peak Judd. The peak yeah. man period is like um, you've kind of got 92 um, with Last of the Mohicans, you've got 95 with Heat, and then you've got 97 with The Insider. They're kind of his probably three of his arguably best um, um, films. And you've got Thief back in the day is probably another his, his other one that sort of yeah. um, announced his arrival. But he's a bit funny, man, because he didn't really start making cinema um, until much later. So even though he kind of carries all of that same 
baggage as you know his contemporaries would be like Malik and and Scorsese and Coppola and, and and to an extent Spielberg, Lucas, those guys who all came out of that period. Cassavetes, he sort of pushed it all back and started making films way after all of those guys had already made like five or ten films. Yeah, well, he correct me if I'm wrong, but he sort of came from TV, did he not? And yeah. before that, he was a sort of Chicago. Was he into journalist journalism or something? Or he he was. I feel like. He was. Uh, he went to London during Vietnam That's in his young age um, and started making documentary films. And then he came back, um, and TV was starting to emerge. I guess much in the same way, but it sort of didn't really completely go all the way. But it was in the eighties where they had bigger budgets and bigger stars were coming to TV, and TV was just becoming was infiltrating everything. And that's where he sort of started a telly movie called The Jericho Mile. He went and produced things like that's- Miami Vice, Crime Story, like all of that was early eighties. And he was EP slash director, co writer, sort of steering that. Wasn't he prior, prior to that? Wasn't he working for like Stephen Bochco or something on one of those cop shows, yeah. and then kind of got into that stuff? So yeah, yeah. So, so it t- comes from. A- like workhorse kind of um, environment and coming from Chicago and living here for a little while I've noticed that Chicago has a real particular flavor yes because it's a hard fucking city man it's cold <laughs> racist and alcoholic <laughs> as fuck and their humor their humor is brutal and awesome but yeah. it can destroy you like yes. it's a tough place so people from there tend to have this when you when you trace them back, you go. Oh, I know why you're like that because you're from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's him. That's him, right? And you know, he, yeah. he's even done the mythologized Chicago in Public Enemies later. You know, much later, did the yeah, quintessential and, Chicago story. Yeah, precisely, and and this story, I believe, was taken from a Chicago uh, story between the real Neil McCauley and whoever Al Pacino. Uh, back in the day, yeah, really? he just so, transposed Los Angeles. It was yeah. a, a Chicago cop. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, a story that he'd had for decades, and uh, and I haven't talked too much about it, um, and I probably will talk about it. L.A. Takedown. Yeah, so L.A. Takedown. Yeah. Talking about the differences, I think um, it's like we've talked. Oh right, he did before he. So I'm actually learning a lot about Michael Mann. Yeah, <laughs> what's well, really good? Known. Yeah, so um, yeah, yeah. L.A. Takedown. He did a couple of years before as a telly movie, um, and they were looking at it like an extended pilot. And it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah as an extended pilot. So they sort of did it and went, no, this isn't going to go to series. It was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a change up. It was um uh, and and spoilers for those who haven't seen L.A. Takedown, but. He kind of allows Wayne Grow to kill Macaulay. Like Macaulay is gets punished, if you like, by pursuing Wayne Grow. It's this sort of weird, dark, and it's not it's not a bad film. When you've seen Heat, it's terrible because you see all the things that he's done to make the story better. <laughs> so if you've yeah, seen yeah, it, before, I think yeah. he only had like sixteen days to oh. shoot LA Takedown. Like yeah. it's it, and it shows. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's real TV stuff. It's yeah. really TV. It's really TV. Sets are sets are pretty terrible. None of the none of the sequences. I mean, none of the sequences are fully funded like you would see he, in this. But he could see there was a, a glowing ember that that wouldn't go out with that yeah. you know botched version. So I, I love that. And I I, I remember um, I, I came from the Northern Territory and I used to come down to Sydney for holidays a lot. Um, and there, there was this. I, I bought the script of Heat before I saw the movie like a couple of weeks before, um, and it was a fucking, you know, phone book. <laughs> yes. But it's, it's you should, I mean, I'm sure you've read it, but you should read it um, maybe not having seen the movie recently. It's mm. really strong. Mm. Yes. 
you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's long as hell. Mm. It's um, long because it's at, it, it, very particular. As you talked about fastidiousness, everything is mm. bait, bait, bait. He's, he's just, because so, so, so much of it's happening wordlessly, it's all described. It's all there on the page for the actors. I mean, you know, he's renowned for being crazy when it comes to preparation, but, you know, he mm. had it all there in the piece of paper. Mm. Where yeah. is where, now? Where is in Northern Territory? Is that back home, Luke? Does that script still exist? Does you do you still have your heat script somewhere? Yeah, where is that? Oh fuck! I don't, prob- probably somewhere in a box. Um, I tend to keep stuff, but I, I, I I've got stuff all over the place. Same here. All over the world. Well, guys, in various- guys, we've yeah. talked about it so much, Let's- and I want to. Uh, we're going to have to watch it, but the way that this. The way that this uh, show One Heat Minute works is that we have to end this episode before we kick off the next one. So would you please join me for the next minute of heat to see the payoff of this scene? What can happen? (laughs) Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much for listening to One Heat Minute. My guests have been Luke Doolan and Henry Nixon. We are going to be back for the 138th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 LA crime opus, Heat, very soon. 